Black Doctors Podcast. Welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. Going to kick off Black History Month with a chat that I've been wanting to have for a long time. I think it's something that's very important, very impactful. It's maybe a little difficult to talk about in some circles, but brought back Dr. Adam Milam, and we're, we're going to break it down. Thanks for having me. Excited for this conversation. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know Dr. Milam, he's a cardiac anesthesiologist. But before this, he is an incredible researcher, master's of public health, PhD, and MD. Over 100 pieces of research in your portfolio. Your CV is what, 55, 60 pages? That's your CV. I'm I'm trying to get there. (laughs) Around 40 right now. But he wears multiple hats. And in addition to being an an excellent clinician, he is a health equities researcher invested in fixing healthcare disparities, walks to walk, talk to talk. And we are here to talk about DEI tourism. Dr. Milo, what comes to mind when you hear that phrase? Yeah, so this article came out, I believe, about two years ago, looking at health equity tourism. And one of my mentors actually sent it to me. And we all know that a lot of there's a lot of focus on health equity, healthcare disparities, given the COVID-19 pandemic and everything else that happened in 2020. And so there's been a lot of funding and opportunities focused on DEI activities and health equity in general. And so it's causing some people to pivot their research and their interest to get involved in health equity without any prior expertise or necessarily commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so it's the hot topic right now. And again, there's a lot of funding. And so researchers need funding. And so there's a lot of researchers jumping ship to do uh, some of this work again, without any expertise or knowledge within the the area. And I guess we can talk about your entry into the field because when you first were getting your MPH and your PhD, what was the focus of your research back then? Yeah, so my master's is uh, in the School of Public Health and it's focused uh, in the Department of Mental Health. I focus on substance use among adolescent populations, but did a broad coursework in mental health. And then my research is really focused on environmental determinants that related to health outcomes. But when I was doing my master's, I also did a certificate in health disparities and health inequities, was very involved in policy issues related to healthcare disparities and access, and then also advocacy and volunteerism in this area. And so that was back in 2009 when I received that certificate. So I've been doing health disparities, health equity research for about 15 years now. Yeah, that's incredible. And Question, back when you first started 15 years ago, what was the support like for this healthcare disparities research? Not not much support at all. And again, it was only a certificate program. We didn't have all the language that we have today. We call social determinants of health psychosocial factors related to health. And so a lot has changed. We formalized the language. And also there's a lot more funding mechanisms to support some of this work. But if you look 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was not a lot of grant opportunities focused on healthcare disparities, health equity, or DEI. And there weren't a lot of offices uh, focused on DEI. Again, a lot of that came out of the pandemic and everything else that happened in 2020. And so there's been an influx of attention to this area, but also resources to, to do some of this work. Yeah. And I guess we had to start with some of the terminology, like you mentioned, to formalize some of the language. And it was just probably two weeks ago, I was talking to a colleague and they're like, oh yeah, you do DIY stuff. And, and I was like, sure, I I'm actually do medical ethics. And they're like, oh yeah, the same thing, DEI, disparities. Let's not conflate the two. 
diversity, mm-hmm. equity, and inclusion versus healthcare disparities? How would you differentiate? Yes. So when we talk about DEI issues, it's really about workforce. And so diversifying the medical workforce, having more physicians that are from racial and ethnic minority populations, more female uh, physicians or members of the healthcare team, and making sure that there's equitable pay, equitable opportunities, but also that there's opportunities for inclusivity. And so I think when I think of DEI, I think more of the workforce. Healthcare disparities are the differences in outcomes that certain populations face for a variety of reasons. The things that we most often talk about is systemic racism. And so there's some interplay between the two, but I think there are two distinct concepts, especially when we start talking about health equity or healthcare disparities versus DEI broadly. The I think why so much overlap is if we improve diversity, equity, and inclusion. So if we diversify the medical workforce, that's one of the avenues to improve healthcare disparities, reduce healthcare disparities, and uh, improve health equity. So I think that's where some people conflate the two, but they are two separate concepts. Yeah, I'll also submit that oftentimes it's the same people that are doing both of these works. The people pioneering for DEI in the workplace are also the Mm -hmm. people doing the healthcare disparities research. Yes. And the the paper that we're talking about, the health equity tourism, it talks about that, that a lot of people had to do both sets of, of work without a lot of funding and no protected time until more recently when, again, that influx of funding has come in. But the people who have been doing this work are not necessarily the people that are getting funded. Because again, if you have experience in research in one area, probably likely to get research funding because of your portfolio. And a lot of people for promotion, for grants, they weren't looking at some of this work, health disparities work, DEI work, as deserving of grant funding and opportunities for promotion. Yeah, I think that, again, brings intersectionality of navigating academic medicine or just academia, understanding how the system works and how funding works. And just because you're passionate, you see so many medical students, so many residents, I'm passionate about DEI, healthcare disparities, and passion, unfortunately, doesn't pay the bills. You got to decide, mm-hmm. is this worth that worth it that I'm doing it on, on my own time that's uncompensated? Yes. Or am I going to negotiate for protected time to do this work? I think the point is, I, I completely agree. The point is we, of course, want a lot of people, a broad audience involved in health disparities research and DEI broadly, but come in, you lo- learn the field from experts. You do medical ethics. So I can't wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be the expert on medical ethics. I'm going to do a bunch of research on medical ethics. I could, but the research wouldn't be meaningful and you're going to hit a lot of roadblocks. And yes, we want more people involved in healthcare disparities research, but learn the field, learn the key players before you enter that. Don't just say that you can apply your research skills from another area and then start doing DEI work. And I think that's what the article was really trying to hammer home. Yeah, I was fortunate. I'm curious your thoughts. As I was a resident, had some great mentorship. And one of my mentors explicitly said, be careful about marketing yourself as DEI, Mm -hmm. as a DEI person. It's better to find your niche field in something and then incorporate aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion or aspects of healthcare disparities. What would you say about that? I've got I've gotten that same advice. I think that the problem is again, DEI work is not in the same boat, is not put in the same boat as other research areas for a multitude of reasons, but systemic racism being one of them. And so you can't get grant funding. It's hard to get some of this work published. It's hard to get grants for this. 
And so the, our currency is publication. So if you can't get publications, then you're held back for academic promotion. So I think the advice from a lot of mentors is find another area where you can publish and get grants for, go up to promotion, but you can, you know, focus on some health equity aspects of that or DEI aspects within that particular field. But just, you know, DEI by itself or healthcare disparities by itself, sometimes it can be hard to navigate academic medicine with that. Yeah, I think it's hard to quantify And if you just get labeled as the DEI person, which has happened to me, actually, I don't have DEI on my CV. I have medical ethics. I have my papers I've written that we've written since you are uh, responsible for the majority of uh, publications on my CV, uh, focused on healthcare disparities in trauma care and in critical care and with medical ethics. But as people read and look at your CV and look at your complexion, oftentimes like, oh, you're the DEI person. And mm-hmm. I think it's easy to fall into the tra- into that trap of carrying your department's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Again, still separating that from healthcare disparities that also exist in every field, every specialty of medicine. Yeah, carrying those efforts uncompensated. If we always talk about the minority tax or the black tax, and this work often falls on black and brown individuals, and again with uncompensated time, which is very unfortunate. Because this work is meaningful and it's necessary and it should be compensated the way that every other area of medicine is compensated. Yeah, we referenced a couple of times this article, Health Equity Tourism Ravaging the Justice Landscape is the title of this article. It really has a good job of laying out the landscape. It describes some of the ramifications of health equity tourism that these quote-unquote tourists are at risk of polluting the health equity landscape and making this field ineffective and even potentially harmful, potentially bringing harm to the populations that it's meant to be there for and to protect. It stresses the fact that as you're doing this, what I like about this paper is it doesn't just point out all the problems, right? You say, oh, everybody's a a DEI tourism. It's easy to discourage people from getting involved. You say, how do I get involved in this work. I don't want to be a tourist. I want to be a, a poser. That's what we remember. We used to use that word back in the day. But one of the recommendations they have is centering equity in the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I found myself doing this subconsciously and asking those questions of, as we build these policies or look at these health outcomes, who is at risk from these decisions that are being made? Who is the loser in these situations and advocating you're representing for that underrepresented population. Yes, they, they make a lot of great points of how to get involved in the research if you want to get involved in it. And so I think it had a lot of great points. The other aspect that I want to say is it's okay to pivot your research. And I've pivoted my research. But again, you want to make sure you have mentorship and some experience within that area. And my example is early on, I did a lot of alcohol and tobacco research trying to prevent alcohol and tobacco use in adolescent populations. But then the opioid epidemic hit, and so Mm -hmm. I pivoted some of my research to opioids. Pretty connected, but a different field. But luckily, I had mentors that had experience in that area. I had some education in uh, opioid misuse uh, from my master's and PhD program. And again, it's okay to pivot your research, but you have to do it in in a way that's not going to harm the the population that you're studying. And it's some of the other recommendations they made is a sustainability piece and how, mm-hmm. as you notice with academic medicine, 
our currency is publications. You need to publish. Mm-hmm. And there are sexy topics that come up, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Man, so many papers were published, so much research, so many things that actually probably need to be reclaimed because the mm-hmm. research didn't back it up. Other things, AI right now, which I've been actually reading on AI for the last two or three years, which I was further along because now everywhere you turn, there's artificial intelligence and machine. And this was DEI a couple of years ago. First, you, mm-hmm. you didn't get any love. And then due to some tragedies, George Floyd, COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of folks started to jump on board, whether it was genuine or performative. It's difficult mm-hmm. to tell, but all of a sudden support materialized. Yeah, everybody was publishing on, on this topic. And so it is unfortunate because, again, some of that could have caused some harm. And we, I think we won't realize that for the next decade or so. And so we just have to be intentional about the research that we engage in, knowing that some of this is translated into practice and can harm individuals. And they talked about collaboration and having like really key partners. And a lot of this does not happen within academic medicine. Oftentimes, our partnerships, specifically with our communities, are we are partners for the grant period. When the grant period ends, we leave. And so that sustainability mm-hmm. piece that they talk about in this paper, I think is very important. Not just using the participants, the community as your lab, but actually yeah. engaging with the community, making sure that they can benefit from this uh, work and that you disseminate the findings to them. Because sometimes that doesn't even happen. So they talk about some aspects of community-based participatory research in, in this paper as well. Yeah, those long-term relationships are, are so important. And I think even with, I know I am personally conflating DEI and healthcare disparities because so often we hear these two conflated. But when it comes mm-hmm. to healthcare disparities, personally, I, I see a bit more staying power because we it's so well documented in the literature. The disparate outcomes is hard to argue with the things that are very clearly demonstrated as opposed to DEI, which is a little grayer. I don't know what you would... To an extent, but we, we knew about this a long time ago. So the, mm-hmm. the Institute of Medicine published Unequal Treatment back in 2003, which documented the pro- profound healthcare disparities that we, that we see now. And the recommendation was, we need to diversify the medical workforce to address some of these healthcare disparities. That was in 2003. And we look 20 years later, 21 years now, not much has changed. Many of these disparities have widened. And so we're not reducing these disparities, although we know about it. But I agree that it is very clear that we have these disparities. And so you can't argue with the data. The data is the data. Whether we get resources to address that is still left to be uh, told. Not sure. Yeah. What I find fascinating is that quick rise in the support for DEI was mm-hmm. followed by potentially a, a quick fall, a, a fall from grace. It became very politicized, as we saw mm-hmm. from situations at Harvard and, and other institutions where there's legal precedent now condemning DEI and affirmative action, which is a related issue. But mm-hmm. now it's in the, it's in the court. There's, and institutions are scared, they're concerned. Institutions that built departments and created chair positions and vice president and vice dean of DEI are dismantling those positions. Mm -hmm. So it it gives you some food for thought that are you building your career around something that's temporary or that has a little bit more staying power? 
Yeah, completely agree. And I think that's where the distinction between health equity and DEI comes into play, which you were saying earlier. Because, yes, the DEI offices are disappearing, but this concept of health equity and, and reducing healthcare disparities, that's not going away. And I think that we're getting more input from our federal agencies. So the Joint Commission came out with health equity standards January 1 of last year that all hospitals have to address. Mm. Similarly, CMS came out with requirements around social determinants of health to address some of the healthcare disparities that we see. So I agree uh, that they are distinct concepts, but that health equity, as you mentioned, is here to stay. But DEI will taper off and it will probably be waves. Yeah, different forms. Mm-hmm. As we start to wrap up, what advice would you have? Because we're, when we were in, in pre-med and medical school, we were going to change the world. Mm-hmm. For that student that's like, yeah, I'm really interested in healthcare disparities and I want to make the change for our OB patients, for our patients that are having heart attack disproportionately. How would you, or what advice would you have for them? I would let them know that it's meaningful work. We need more people engaged in this work, but it's not easy work. The article talks about it, but it's really slow and steady. And we don't see what we call huge effect sizes from some of this health disparities work. The changes are slow and they happen over time. It's the same concept that we talk about for enhanced recovery after surgery. It's marginal gains. And so it will be a lot of different interventions that will need to be at play to address these disparities. But find yourself a mentor and just stay committed to this work. It's going to take time, but it's very meaningful. Uh, work. Yeah. And on the flip side, we have that same student, that same medical student resident. I am an advocate for DEI. How would you recommend they move um, amongst their faculty members and their peers? Yeah. I never tell people to hide their true intentions, but I think for, for these topics, since it's become politicized so much that it might be better to, to work on some of these issues after you finish your training when you're a little bit more protected um, and have some more things under your belt where you're not at risk for a bad evaluation or being dismissed from a program. So if you're working on this while you're in training or while you're in medical school, work with somebody that's a little bit more senior to you and try to use them as a shield. But I would encourage a lot of people to get involved in this work maybe after they finish training or do this work um, as a team or part of an organization. Yeah, and that's probably more. Which I hate the, to see, but yeah, and that's probably the more the, the big picture things that make meaningful, lasting institutional changes. For me, I'm just a simple country anesthesiologist. For me, DEI, right, diversity, equity, and inclusion can also be broken down to the interpersonal relationship. So, if you're a resident, get involved in the selection committees for your residency program. When you see medical students from these underrepresented backgrounds, go out of your way to engage them in conversation, to provide that mentorship. Be a little uncomfortable. I don't know. I really don't like talking mm-hmm. to people, to be honest, but I go yeah. out of my way when I see yeah. somebody that looks like me or that looks that like they quote unquote don't belong because that is diversity, that's equity, and that's mm-hmm. inclusion. Yes. And it's having those crucial conversations, as you mentioned in the beginning. So if you see microaggressions or macroaggressions, Mm. calling that out or reporting that. Because so often in medicine, we don't report things, especially in the personal uh, situations. But that just fuels that, and it's a continuous cycle. So 
raising the issue again with somebody a little bit more senior to you, I think can be helpful to make sure that behavior doesn't happen to the next generation or the next medical student or, or resident. Dr. Milam, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You always have such incredible things to share when we can actually get you on the show. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to the Black Doctors podcast. We're here because representation matters.